0: Welcome to New Covenant Church. You're listening to this week's message by Executive Pastor Chris Valdez. Welcome. We're so glad you're here this morning. If you're a visitor, welcome. We've been studying in Galatians uh, for the last month uh, and have gone through Galatians chapters 1 through 3. And I just want to give you a quick reminder of the context of Galatians before we pick up in Galatians 4 this morning. It's a letter from Paul to non-Jewish Christians. And Paul had personally witnessed and shared Christ to these believers. And now they're being told that Jesus Christ isn't enough, that they, they need more. They must add circumcision and following the law of the Moses in order to be acceptable to God. And we've seen Paul making his case against this claim in Galatians. In chapters one through two, he he gave a defense of his authority and his apostleship. And in chapters three and four, he makes it clear that all believers, both Jew and non-Jew alike, enjoy complete salvation in Christ alone. In five and six, he'll go on uh, to show how grace leads to true freedom and godly living and that how we can walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. And I'm I'm really excited about getting into those next two chapters the next couple of weeks. But if you've missed any of the messages, you can go online to our website and, and listen to those or sign up for our podcast. But this morning we're going to pick up at the end of chapter three and start of chapter four, where Paul explains who we are in Christ in Galatians chapter three, it'll be on the screen. Galatians three twenty-six through chapter four verse seven. It says, "For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one." In Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs, according to the promise. Verse one of chapter four. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So the first thing I want to point out in this passage is this focus on sonship. And so, you know, there's uh, a trend now in a lot of uh, circles. And and there's even translations of the Bible now that have made the Bible... uh, Basically, like non-sexual. There's no male or female. It just says children or all or everyone or things like that. And it's trying to make it, I guess, more acceptable to everyone. But the thing that Paul's saying here, it's not talking about masculinity. It's not talking about, um, just men or sons. He's talking about, um, basically an office or the way that they looked at the role of son at this time in history and what that meant. And he just got finished saying, in Christ, there's no male or female. There's no Jew or non-Jew. There's no slave or free man. Everyone in Christ is the same. And what he's telling us is, and so the son at this time, the firstborn son, was the heir to the father. They got a double portion of what even the other sons would have gotten. And what Paul is saying is, in Christ, we're all the firstborn son, we all have that right. We all have that gift. So whether you're a woman or man, Paul is saying in Christ, you've got the gift. You've got the uh, inheritance of a son. You you get no less than anyone else. Everyone gets the same. You're all considered the firstborn son, the full heir to God himself. So it's not so you don't need to if if we just made it neutral, you lose what he was trying to say, because at that time, everyone was not equal. They weren't going to get the same thing. But Paul Paul says in Christ, we're all equal. There's no difference. There's no male or female. You are all considered a, a direct inherited line in the inheritance of God. And then I, I want to look at one other thing in this passage a little bit closer. It's in verse four and five. He says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman under the law to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoptions as sons. I think one thing that we're, we're pretty good at is realizing that when we come to Christ, there's forgiveness of our sins. You know, and that, and we might kind of make that the big, deal. You know, you don't want to go to hell. You want to go to heaven. You want to accept Christ to be forgiven. And a lot of times we also kind of think that's the end of the game. You got your ticket punched. Now you go on and do whatever else you're going to do with the rest of your life. But the truth is, that's one. That's just the first step. And what we miss is the second part of that. We we get the transfer of sin from us. But what we fail to grasp is the transfer of us to sons, We are sons of God in Christ. We're all sons of God. We have been transferred from death to life, from aliens to sons to direct inheritors of God's kingdom. And we need to grasp what that means. The, la- the last thing I want to point out here is at the very end of this, he says, God sent His Spirit, the Spirit of His Son, into our hearts crying out, Abba, Father. That God puts His Spirit in us, and it's His Spirit in us that can cry out, Abba, Father. And you may have heard this term before, that it was a very um, personal term, like for a child uh, in in the Jewish home that they would call their dad, daddy, Abba. And it really is that term of daddy. What I want us to not forget, though, is don't bring our terminology of daddy into in our culture of how we see that and think that's exactly the same thing it meant because while it was intimate and it was close they had a different respect and an honor for their father than what we see in our culture today you can go back into the old testament it says if uh, with when the law of moses is given it says if a child disrespects his mother or father and dishonors them. You take them out and you stone them to death. That was how they they handled uh, dishonor. And so honor was a very high uh, standard in their society. So while it was, yes, it was intimate. Yes, it was close. And yes, there was this loving relationship between father and son or father and daughter and mother and son and daughter. Um, there was also a profound respect and honor. So while we, yes, are now sons of God and we have this intimate relationship with the Father, don't forget that he's someone to be honored and respected and taken very, very seriously. So there's that intimate setting and that the door's been opened, but we have to remember he is someone to be honored, to be lifted up, to be respected So Paul then gives the Galatians a warning. He says, don't go back where you came from. Let's look at Galatians 4, 8 through 9. He says, formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God. Or rather, to be known by God. How can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? He's saying you came to Christ by faith alone. You were totally transformed. But in Paul's absence, they were being deceived by the Judaizers. And they were telling them that Christ was not enough. And listen how severe Paul saw this. In verse 8 and 9, what Paul is saying is that for them to trust in circumcision and following the law of Moses rather than Christ alone, that it was equivalent of idolatry. Because he was saying, you're going back to where you came from. They had been idolaters. They had worshipped false gods. And then they had come to Christ. And he's saying, for you to go back to that or to go to the law of Moses, you would say they're not going back to where they came from. They're going To the law of Moses, they're following uh, God's law like the Jews were. And so you would think, well, they're not going back. They're going to something new. And Paul says, no, for you to go to this, you're going back to the elementary principles of idolatry because you're trusting in something else other than God, other than the promise. And he's saying you're not trusting in something new. You're turning back to what you were slaves to before. Though we can be rich in the gospel and adopted children of God with complete and direct access to the Father, we can go back to relating to the Father only through our record and our moral merits. If we want to live and think that we're going to do something of our own, of our own merit, of our own ability and and merit our salvation. To do this is like having been given a gift. But then giving it back to the giver so that you can earn it. Can you imagine that you're, you had a, a very loving and generous father who, who gives you an extravagant gift? Maybe uh, when you turned 16 years old, he gave you a brand new car. I, I did not experience this as a, as a child, but let's, for example's sake. So you receive this extravagant gift. And then you give them back the keys and say, no, I I haven't earned it. I don't deserve this. So I'm going to work and do things to make you happy and please you and do all this. And then when I feel that I've done enough to deserve it, then I'll receive the gift that you've given me. The Father gave it out of love as a gift, not because there was any earning or merit. He gave it because... He wanted to bless the Son. And that's what God has done for us. He said, all of this has been a free gift. You've done nothing to deserve any of it, but I love you, and I'm going to bless you. And what the Galatians had done is they had received that promise. They had received that gift. And then the Judaizers come along and say, that's not enough. You've got to do something on your own to be made right with God. And they started to believe it. And Paul's saying... You can't do that. It's a gift. You'll never be able to earn it. And as soon as you do, you're going to lose what you've been given because you're actually going back to the idolatry and to the slavery that you came out of. So Paul is saying, don't trade the promise for the law. Our inheritance is not a prize to be won. It's a gift through Christ." So the next thing that we're about to get into is Paul's um, interpretation of Abraham and the promise that God made to Abraham and how that promise was fulfilled and what that promise meant. But before we do, I want to talk to you a little bit about that story. They would have known this story very well and. In the beginning, how it started out, and we spoke about this a little bit last week, was that God came and made a promise to Abraham before he'd done anything. He hadn't believed. He hadn't gone anywhere. He hadn't gotten circumcised. He hadn't done any righteous work. He hadn't been obedient. He hadn't done anything. But God came in, uh, in Genesis chapter 12, and he makes Abraham a promise that not only is he going to bless him and not only will he have children, but he's going to bless the world through Abraham. And we talked about how what that blessing really was, was a promise. And as the seed that he was talking about was not Isaac. It was actually Jesus Christ himself. That was the promise that was made to Abraham. And at that point, he believes before he'd done anything but he gets that promise, and one other thing I want to point out is at the time that he received the promise, Moses was 75 years old. So he didn't get a promise for 75 years. So you may be in a place right now where you feel like, well, God hasn't made me a promise about my life. He hasn't given me something to look forward to or a path or something that's going to come ahead. Well, it might Be when you're 75. (laughs) If it is, you'll be in the company of Abraham. So he didn't even get the promise till then. He was 75 and Sarah was 66. And what I want you to understand is at the time, at the moment that the promise was given, it was already impossible. Sarah was already beyond the age of childbearing when the promise was given. Now, they might have had enough faith at that point to say, well, God can pull this one out somehow, you know, he's, he can make this work. Maybe she could still have a child, but time starts to go by. And then God makes another, uh, he, he makes a covenant with Abraham and reminds Abraham in Genesis chapter 15, that, uh, this is still going to happen. I'm still going to bless you. I'm still going to make a nation. And he, he promises all these things to Abraham. Well, right after this, and I say right after, we don't know the timing of where, Uh, Genesis 15 falls in. We just know that when the original promise was made, he was 75 and Sarah was 66. But then along the way, God reconfirms. And then in chapter 16, when Abraham is 86 and Sarah is 77, they decide that God needs a little help. This promise that he's made isn't happening. And Sarah says, well, maybe, maybe the promise was to you, Abraham, and not to me. And you're going to have a son and God's going to bless you. So why don't you take my slave Hagar, sleep with her, have a son with her, and God's promise will be fulfilled. And so Abraham says, "Okay, sounds like a plan to me. They do this and he has Ishmael. And they made the plan happen on their own, but it wasn't God's promise. They did something out of the flesh. And so after the birth of Ishmael, God reconfirms again in Genesis 17. So basically, God comes back and says, that wasn't the plan, Abraham. What you did in your flesh was not my promise. I made you a promise, and I was going to fulfill that promise, and you did something on your own. And when he reconfirms the promise, Abraham is 99, and Sarah is 90." So what was impossible to begin with is absolutely impossible now. And both Abraham and Sarah laugh at this point. And they argue, but they say, well, I didn't laugh. And I say, no, you laughed. You laughed. You said that this wasn't going to happen. And he says, in a year, you're going to have a son. so when when Abraham was 100 and Sarah is 91 and in Genesis chapter 21 God fulfills the promise of Isaac, but they waited 25 years from the promise before God fulfilled the promise. And honestly, he didn't even really fulfill the promise. He fulfilled the promise for Abraham to have that first seed that would then culminate in the seed of Christ, which by different estimates doesn't happen for another 1800 to 2100 years. So there's generation upon generation upon generation before the true seed, before the promise to Abraham is fulfilled. But that's what the Bible says Abraham believed from the very beginning, even though he wavered in the way that God was going to fulfill it. He believed in the promise. And even though they had attempted to fill it on their own, God said, no, that's not the way. That's not the plan. And there's going to be some consequences because of that stupid decision. But I'm still going to hold to the promise that I'm gonna, that I made to you. I'm still gonna fulfill it. I'm still gonna do that. And so now we pick up in the last few verses of Galatians 4 where Paul's talking about this same story and he gives them a new understanding of this story, a new perspective for this story because he wanted the Galatians to understand the promise and who they were and who we are in the lineage of Abraham. Galatians 4, 21. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law. That statement just kind of cracks me up because who would desire to be under the law? Do you not listen to the law? He's saying, do you not know what it says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh. While the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Mount Sinai is where God gave the law of the law to Moses and to the people of Israel. And he's saying that mountain, that law was Hagar and slavery. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She. Corresponds to present Jerusalem. For she's in slavery with her children, but the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren who does not bear, break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. He's referring to Sarah. She was desolate at 90 years old she was not going to have a child but through god and through his promise he said i can make the desolate bear children now you brothers like isaac are children of promise now that he's talking to the gentile believers and saying you brothers like isaac the son of promise are children are children of the promise not to the not to the lineage of the physical birth of Abraham that the Jews held, but those who believed in the promise. Verse 29, but just as at that time, he who was a born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. And he's referring to the fact that Ishmael, the firstborn son of Abraham, persecuted Isaac when he was five years old. But now, what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. What Paul was saying here was revolutionary. He was telling the Galatians, the converts, you're sons of the promise. We're sons of the promise. Paul. Himself was a Jew by birth, but he's saying, I'm a son of the promise just like you are a son of the promise. And he's saying, sons of Abraham and the Judaizers were the sons of slaves under Hagar and the law. What Paul says would have incited both non Jewish Christians, I'm sorry, uh, Jews who are non Christians. And the Judaizers, he's telling the Galatians that the Judaizers say you must follow the law to fully fulfill Christ and be sons of Abraham. But I'm telling you, they're not sons of Abraham. Rather, they are sons of the slave woman, Hagar. If he'd have been in Jerusalem saying this, they'd have tried to stone him. They're living in the flesh under the law. And he's saying, Hagar, not Sarah, corresponds to the present earthly Jerusalem. So the false teachers proudly considered themselves descendants of Abraham by Sarah and Isaac. And while that was true in the natural, Paul's saying they're spiritually descended from the slave woman. The Gentile, the outcast and these Gentiles, these outcasts by faith in the promise. Our sons of Abraham, our sons of God, by promise. They're relying on their own ability rather than the supernatural ability and grace of God. So there's a in my personal story, um, God made me a promise when I was 13 years old that I was called to ministry, that I would be in ministry and. Prior to that, I did not want to be in ministry that was, I, my father's in ministry. My grandparents were in ministry, kind of a history of that and saw what that life was like. And both my brother and I was like, we don't want anything to do with that. But at 13, God gave me that promise and it changed my heart and made that be the only thing I wanted to do. But that promise didn't get fulfilled. And there was many years in between the giving of the promise and the fulfillment of that promise Lots of doubt, just like Abraham. You you start to question the promise. Was it real? Did I really hear him? Did I do something along the way that made him change his mind? Maybe I just never heard him right in the first place. There was times that I tried to make it happen on my own. There was uh, an opportunity that came. This would have been, you know, I was probably 25, 26. There was a a pastoral position in Dalhart near in the panhandle that came open and some of the leadership at Trinity, they thought, hey, this we feel like this one's for you. You know, I thought, "Okay, well, this maybe this is it. And I interviewed and preached and uh, had their recommendation and it all seemed like it was going to fall through. My prayer was and it really was my honest prayer. God, if this isn't what you have for me, I don't I don't want this for me or my family. I but but in my heart, I'm saying, please, God, let this be what you have for me because I'm ready to get out of IT. I don't want to do what I'm doing anymore. And I want to be in your promise. And, and it fell through and they picked somebody else. And it turned out that that was an absolute disaster that God saved me from. But at the time, it was hard. And it was going to be another... I think about 10 10 plus years after that, before we actually came here. And during the process of all that, there was still more questioning, there was still more doubt, and it was actually at the time that I would say that I not gave up on the promise, but gave up on that that's what it was about. You know, that it was, God, if whatever it is that you have for me, if that's what it is, great, and whenever that comes, great. But even if it never comes, you're the one that matters. You're you're uh, you're the promise. And what I want to tell you this morning is whether you feel like you've received a promise from God yet or not, you know, like Abraham hadn't in his first 75 years or not. First of all, we've all received the greatest promise God could ever give. He sent his son, Jesus Christ. As our promise to redeem us, to give us a life, to transform us into sons and heirs of God himself. We've all got that one. If you've received that, you're not going to get a better promise than that. So that's first of all. But let me tell you, he has something for you in that life. And even if it's not clear to you yet. He has that promise. He had it before you were ever even born. Before you were knit in your mother's womb, he had a plan for you. But just like Abraham, when we're walking through this life, we think, well, maybe it's not going to happen. Maybe I need to help God out. And the problem is that when it's God's promise, we can't help him out. It's beyond our ability. It's beyond anything we could ever do because he has to do it to accomplish it. And when he does it, we see that it's better than anything we could have ever imagined. It's more than we ever thought it could be. The other thing that I realized, and I think Abraham did as well, was that the promise, quote, being fulfilled, was just the beginning. Isaac wasn't the end of the promise. It was the very beginning. And even though Abraham and Sarah did see that before they died, they by no means saw what was to come. They had to believe in the promise of Christ and what was to come. That would be 18 to 2100 years later that every generation after that looked forward to. But even then, when it happens and what we see here with Paul is even the people who are supposed to be looking for it missed it. And they didn't see it and they didn't see that Christ was the fulfillment of the promise So does this mean that when we get this promise and we receive this fulfillment, that then it doesn't matter what we do and we can do whatever we want and send to our heart's content because Jesus is going to make it all better. And that was the only purpose of all of it was to get saved. No, Paul says, absolutely not. Look with me. It'll be on the screen in Romans chapter six, verse fifteen. Also, just recommend you to read this whole chapter, all of Romans chapter six. And even if you go into chapter seven and beyond, chapter seven will speak to what we've been talking about in Galatians. and chapter eight, we'll go on to what we're going to be looking at next week in Galatians chapter five. But Romans six, verse 15, he says, what then? Are we to sin because we're not under the law, but under grace by no means? Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you are committed. Look at verse 18. And having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. So freedom, liberty, liberation is not freedom to do whatever we want. It's not freedom that we've earned, that now I can be my own person, now I can do whatever I want. That was the original sin. What we would call freedom is us going back To what we came from. It's the definition of death. And separation from God. No, our freedom and our life in Christ means slavery to Christ. That he becomes our Lord and Savior. We become adopted sons of God and heirs with Christ. That doesn't give us liberty to sin. It gives us liberty to live live as sons of God. And don't forget, we're all sons. The next two weeks, we're going to be looking at how we walk as sons of God, how we can walk in the spirit, not in the flesh. But as we close this morning, I want us to keep our focus on the promise of Christ. And that it's been fulfilled. If you've never received that promise. You can do that this morning. We'll have ministry team up here in a moment. That would love to pray with you. uh, As you start that walk in this new promise. That God has made to you. But if you've already received Christ. I want you to think about the promises. God has made to you personally. Or maybe you have tried to fulfill them in your own strength and it's time to put them back in his hands or maybe you don't think you've ever received a promise don't be discouraged remember abraham was 75 years old before he got the first one you're not late you're not late you haven't missed it You're not wasting time. God doesn't waste any time. He doesn't waste any experience. He doesn't waste any part of your life. You haven't missed it and you haven't wasted it. Trust the promise maker. Trust the one who made the promise. And like I said, if you haven't heard a specific promise for your life, start with the first promise he made. I sent my son To die for your sins so that you might become one of my sons. And once you've believed in that promise, it's just starting out. You're just beginning. Trust the promise maker. He's faithful. You're part of his plan. Looking at all these little kids here and teenagers, you're part of his plan. He has a plan for you And it's so exciting. God has so much more in store. We're not done. We're just beginning. He wants to use you. He's given you the ultimate gift of making you his children through Christ. But that was just the beginning. He has something special planned and wants to use you to accomplish it. He wants to use you and Christ to accomplish his plan. And all he asks of us is to trust him. And to wait for him. But it's so good, only he can do it. And that was Abraham's problem. It was too good to be true. And he couldn't wait anymore. And he thought he had to help him out. But even in that failure, God says, that doesn't change my promise. Even your mistakes don't change my promise. Even when you miss it, it doesn't change my promise. My promise is still my promise. And I'm still the only one that can fulfill my promise. All you have to do is trust and wait. And then he does it. And the Bible is full of story after story after story. Where God asks them to do something and it's something so small. But when they take that little step, he does something so great. Because only he could do it. The only thing he asked of Sarah and Abraham was to wait. He didn't ask them to do anything. He just said, wait, I made you a promise, wait. They thought 25 years of waiting was too long. Just wait. You haven't gotten the promise yet. Wait. You think you missed it. You haven't. Wait. He's going to do it. He's going to do it. And it's going to be awesome because only he can do it. You bow your heads with me as we pray. Dear Holy Father, we thank you. We thank you for your promise, your promise to Abraham, your fulfilled promise to Abraham. And we thank you that you gave us the grace to believe and receive that promise and that we are now sons. But Father, I pray right now, Lord, for faith to wait for your individual promise. To wait for the promise or to wait for the fulfillment of the promise. Lord, I pray encouragement over everyone here this morning. Encouragement from your spirit. Lord, the, the psalm says David encouraged himself in the Lord. Father, I just pray that we would encourage ourselves in you this morning. And that we would trust you and have faith in you and know that we know that we know that you are still faithful. Lord, we give you all praise and honor, Lord, and you have all power. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. For more information or to listen to past sermons, go to newcovenantlampassings.com.